Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask you again for your strength, for your help. We pray, please, would you open up the eyes of our hearts that we might see what you have to say to us. Give us soft hearts and a willing spirit that we might hear and respond rightly to what you say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if the history of the world were a book, it would be in the last chapter. If the history of the world were a football match, would be in stoppage time. If it were a play, would be in the final scene. The end of all things is near. That is Peter's headline at the beginning of our passage today. The end of all things is near. The end of all things, of course, speaks of the return of Christ, the day of judgment, God's punishment of his enemies, the ushering in of his new creation for his people, and life everlasting, the end of all things. And Peter says it's near. He doesn't tell us how near. He doesn't give us exact dates or precise timings as to when exactly the end will come. It could be in 10,000 years' time. It could be next week. He doesn't know, so he can't tell us. Just that it's near. The next major event on God's agenda. So if you imagine a great big wall calendar in heaven with all of the key events marked on it, creation of the world, you'd see it ticked off, done. The formation of Israel, ticked off, done. The coming of Christ, ticked off, done. The coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, ticked off, done. And we would see just one more major event to happen, the end of all things. You see, ever since the coming of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years ago, we've been living in the last chapter at the final scene, stoppage time, at the end of human history. The end of all things is near. And of course, naturally, that raises a load of questions for us, all sorts of questions. How is all of this going to happen? How near are we talking? Um, is this going to be in our lifetime? What's all of this going to look like? How does that fit with what's going on in the world around us? But Peter's not really interested in those questions. He's interested in just one question. The question of how should this shape how we, we as God's people live now? How should we live? What should we be doing? What should be our priorities given that the end of all things is near? And Peter gives us three priorities for life in stoppage time. That's what I'm calling this uh, this morning. Three priorities, key priorities for life in stoppage time at the end of human history. This is not an exhaustive list. There are other things that we ought to be doing that Peter doesn't mention here. But these are the things that he wants us to consider this morning. Three key priorities for life in stoppage time. And I think each of them is quite surprising in its own way. First key priority, pray. 
Verse 7, if you've got your Bibles open, have a look down again at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. I guess as evangelicals, at points we can be guilty of activism, uh, being very busy doing stuff. Uh, maybe if we had written this verse, we'd have written it differently. The end of all things is near, so preach the gospel, or train up missionaries, or help the needy. Good things, right things that we ought to be doing. But they're not Peter's first thought. Peter says, first thing we're to do in this last chapter of world history is pray. It's a bit like Jesus' teaching in Matthew 9, if you're familiar with it there. Again, which I often find just, just challenging. Jesus outlines the problem. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a shortage of workers. He says there's a problem. What's his solution? Not get out there and preach. Not get out there and train up missionaries. Not get out there and get going. His solution, ask. That's the first thing that Jesus says. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. We're to pray. So you see, prayer, it's not a last resort for when nothing else is working and there's nothing better to do. For Peter, it's his number one priority. And really, when you think about it, it's absolutely right. Because who's in charge of everything? And who's the one who can sustain believers in, the, in their faith? And who's the one who can bring people to faith in Christ? Yes, we have a role to play, of course. But it's God. So we should prioritize praying to Him. I've been reading recently Mike Michael Reeves on prayer. Um, he quotes Calvin helpfully. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And then adding that prayer is the first and main way that true faith expresses itself. For in true prayer, we actually depend on God and trust in Him. It's an expression of faith at its very heart. We've got to be prayerful. But note as well, to, do, to, to be prayerful, we've got to have a certain mindset. We've got to be alert and of sober mind. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. In other words, to, 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 to pray and engage in prayer, we've got to be clear-headed. We've got to be wide awake to the reality that we're in the final chapter. My guess is that the vast majority of people in society would just assume that the earth will just keep on spinning. Um, some mock the idea that there could be an end. Um, more than that, nothing in our environment that we see, nothing in the supermarkets, nothing on the telly, is going to remind us that we're in the final chapter. And so it's very, very easy for us to fall asleep to this reality that the end of all things is near, to be distracted. Very easy for us to assume, just like everyone else, that there is no date in the diary for the end of all things. So if we're to engage in prayer, we've got to be sober-minded, 
and alert, keeping at the forefront and center of our minds that the end of all things is near. So that's our first key priority for life in stoppage time. Pray, not do, but pray. Uh, second key priority for life in stoppage time, uh, love. Uh, have a look at verse 8. Again, this follows on from Peter's headline, the end of all things is near. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter gets us thinking here about church family, about our brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says, love each other deeply. And the emphasis here is on persisting in loving one another despite difficulties. That's why there's that comment about uh, because love covers over a multitude of sins. This is about loving one another despite difficulties. You see, Peter isn't naive. He knows how hard it can be at points to get along as the family of God. He knows that we're different, that we've got different ways of thinking and different ways of doing things and different takes on things. He knows that we sin against each other and rub each other up the wrong way and can be inconsiderate at a point. He knows that. But here we see he wants us to respond to those difficulties by showing love. Not responding in kind, but by showing love, by blessing and forgiving and bearing with. Why? Because of the power of love. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. You know, if conflict is like fire, and it is, love is like a fire blanket. It covers the fire. It starves it of oxygen before it gets out of control. So imagine, imagine there's a, in our church, imagine there's a fallout between some of the deacons. There's not. Um, that's why I'm happy to use this as a scenario. There's not. Um, but imagine there was. There's Jim. Now, Jim is a fictional deacon. If you're a deacon thinking, is he talking about me? I'm not. Jim is fictional. Jim hasn't been pulling his weight. Uh, Jim hasn't been communicating well. And so Michael, a fellow deacon, raises it. And Jim flips out. He's furious. He, he responds by saying things that he just shouldn't have said. So what is Michael to do? Does he respond in kind? Listen, Jim, I'm fed up with your antics. Would you just get over this? this, is, this is, you're in the wrong here and pour fuel on the fire? Or does he respond in love? Maybe not saying anything at the, at, the, at the time, taking it on the chin, even though it's not fair. Maybe even checking in with him later. Um, I don't know, dropping around to see him with a couple of uh, takeaway coffees, or I don't know. Still an issue to be sorted, but the fire, the heat has been taken out of it. The fire has been extinguished and brought under control. Maybe that's a rubbish example. 
But the point that Peter is saying is that love covers over a multitude of sins. It's a fire blanket. Peter then develops this idea of, of love for one another with his command in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter says, show love to one another by opening up your homes to one another, having each other over for coffee and for lunch and for dinner, spending time together in your homes. Now, we might just think to that, you know, hold on a second. Peter has just said that the end of all things is near. We are in the last chapter of human history. We're in stoppage time. And here he's instructing us to get church people over for lasagna. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit what's going on. How is lasagna with church folk a priority in stoppage time? Surely there's more important things to be doing. But that would be to underestimate the power of hospitality in the Christian life. Because in truth, love and hospitality, it's not really about food. It's more significant than that. It's a tangible, concrete way of saying, we're family. We belong to each other. The world may reject you because of Christ, but I accept you as my sibling in Christ. And that's hugely important because, of course, none of us can walk the Christian life alone. We just won't make it. We need each other. So think of the Christian who's getting it in the neck from friends because they're not joining in with some sinful activity that they're doing. Or the believer getting um, low-level insults um, at work because of their faith and are ostracized, unless they're welcomed in and accepted by the church, they're just going to struggle to keep going. You see, the reason Peter includes love and hospitality in this list of uh, stoppage time priorities is because these things really can make the difference between someone going on in the faith and someone giving up. So offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, of course, it's, it's really important to recognize that not everyone's circumstance is going to lend themselves easily to doing this in this particular way. I just want to acknowledge that. But to those who can show hospitality and are able to, can I encourage you to keep showing hospitality to one another. Maybe to make it sustainable, we need to um, lower the bar a little bit, perhaps, um, or think outside the box. Um, hospitality for one another. It doesn't have to be uh, a, a, a roast dinner on that Sunday lunch slot in a perfectly tidy house. It can, of course, it can. But it doesn't have to be. Yeah, food, food is expensive. Sunday, that Sunday um, lunchtime slot may not be the best time uh, for you if you've got family nearby. The thought maybe of having to tidy everything up in the house to get ready for people to come around, maybe that's just too much. Maybe to do this sustainably, we've just got to lower the bar, think outside the box. You know, better to open your home for 
for frozen pizza once a month than for roast lamb once a year. Those are just some thoughts, um, and I, I want to back away from being too prescriptive in all of this. But the main thing that Peter is saying is keep opening the homes, keep opening our homes, being hospitable to one another, hugely significant for the Christian life in stoppage time. So we've had pray, love, and show hospitality. And then Peter's third priority for life in stoppage time, serve. Let me read verses 10 and 11 again. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter's teaching us here that every believer in Christ has had an experience of God's grace and has been given a gift or an ability or a resource to use in his service. But God's gifts uh, to us in that way, they're not like um, birthday gifts. Um, you know, you get a birthday card uh, from your great aunt. You open it up, it's got 20 pounds in it with a little note. Um, spend it on yourself. Go and treat yourself on what you want to buy. And so you stuff it in your pocket and go away and have a think. God's gifts to us, though, aren't like that. God's gifts, we see here, are entrusted to us. We are stewards of God's grace to us in its various forms. That is, we're to use whatever God has given us to serve others and in dependence on Him. So when it comes to God's gifting to us, whatever experience or gifting or ability or resource that might be, we're not just to stuff it into our pockets and to think to ourselves, well, isn't it wonderful that I've got this gift of you know, being able to encourage other people or something like that. Now, we're to get on and use it. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. And more than that, we're to use it in the service of others. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So again, we're not to think, oh, you know, I've got this, this gift or this resource or ability. Um, I'll be able to get a bit of attention for myself. Or I could use this gift to, um, to make people like me. Or to open up some doors for myself. Um, or to get ahead. No, we're to use our experience and, and gifting and ability and resources to bless and serve others for their good. And we're to do so in reliance on God. That's what verse 11 and 12 are all about. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. 
Uh, so for those of us who, who teach um, in, in some capacity, whether it's, it's, it's in Sunday school or one of the youth groups or wh- wherever it is, perhaps in the home, we're not just to share our own thoughts, our own ideas, but God's, the very words of God, communicating His truth, speaking His gospel, the good news that anyone at all, no matter what they've done, if they turn to Christ, can be forgiven and be brought into an eternal relationship with the living God. That's what we are to speak. For those of us who serve in other ways, we're to do so with the strength that God provides, drawing on His resources, asking Him for strength, turning to Him and His Word for motivation. You know, when someone is wind up, when someone's at the end of their tether, um, you, you, they may well say, give me strength. It's, you know, that's what we say, isn't it? Give me strength. But if we pray that sincerely to God, Lord, give me strength because I need it for this, please. That is a prayer that the Lord will answer. So we're to, uh, we're to use our gift. We're to use it to serve others. Uh, we use it to serve others in reliance on God. And of course, if we do that for His purpose, in reliance on Him, with His strength, who's going to get the glory? God. So that in all things, God may be praised. To Him be the glory. So three, I think, very surprising priorities for life in stoppage time. Pray, love, serve. And I guess just as we close, just a reflection that really this is just a call to be like the Lord Jesus. You think about Christ and His priorities in His final days of His earthly life. What did He do? You know, in the upper room, what does he do? He serves. Taking off his outer garment, he washes his disciples' feet. He speaks the very words of God, teaching his disciples what they needed to know. He serves. He goes from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he take himself off to do there? To pray in reliance on his heavenly Father. From the garden, he's arrested and tried and crucified. Why does he allow all of that to happen? Love. A love that covers the multitude of our sins. There's Christ serving, praying, loving. So for us too, given the end of all things is near, given we're in stoppage time, the final scene, the final chapter, what should we be doing? What should our priorities be? How should we be living? Well, quite simply, after the example of our Savior. Let's pray and ask for God's strength to do this. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. Heavenly Father, we pray, please, and ask for your strength to be Christ-like in these final days, in these final years, in this final chapter 
of world history. Lord, we cannot do these things by ourselves. We need your strength. We need your motivation. We need Christ's example at the forefront of our minds. So help us, strengthen us, give us what we need that we might be those who pray and who love one another and who serve to, to the glory of you, our Father in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.